Hi, everyone, and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I'm Nigel Griswold, co-founder and CEO of Dynamometrics and your host. In this episode, I'm joined by Kyle Ramirez, business technology consultant at Michigan Small Business Development Center. Kyle's love of early stage businesses began during his prior life as an attorney in Silicon Valley. He quickly realized that the competitive, fast-moving, and multi-dimensional environment of business better suited his character, and he moved on to doing deals rather than preparing them. Kyle's passion with early-stage technology and its potential to change the world has expressed itself throughout his career and shaped him professionally by providing deep experience across multiple functional areas, strategy, marketing, and sales, operations, and finance. Above all, it instilled a sense of self-reliance and focus on simply getting things done. Our conversation covers the role of the Michigan Small Business Development Center in supporting small businesses and local economic development, how state and federal funds are delivered to local businesses, and how Michigan has worked to diversify its economy over the past decade. And now my conversation with Kyle. Welcome to Ahead of the Curve. Today we have we have Kyle Ramirez on the show. Um, Kyle is the technology business consultant with the Michigan Small Business Development Center. Um, Kyle and I go back some years now. We've been working together and have become great friends, actually. And Kyle has a lot to share with us today. Thanks for being on the show, Kyle. My pleasure. So maybe maybe the way to get started, Kyle, is to just kind of unpack. Maybe a little bit of your history. I think maybe that's a good way to start off is just give give folks a sense of your career and, and what your background is in and how you found yourself as a, a as a business consultant with, with SBDC. Great. I'll, what I'll do is I'll give you the, uh, the abbreviated Reader's Digest version of, of my career. So <laughs> did, did my undergraduate at the University of Michigan here in Ann Arbor and um, from there did... Uh, law school over at Stanford. After Stanford, I ended up spending about 10 years in the, in the Bay Area uh, with a couple different law firms. But the focus of my law career was really working with early stage technology companies, helping them in not only just at, at the very beginning of their, of their, of their uh, journey, but also in raising money, you know, whether that's venture financing or other kinds of private equity finance or you know, some sort of early stage debt. Um, I also did quite a bit of work in the M&A area, mergers and acquisitions, and a little bit of IPO work as well. Um, from there, you know, I, I think I, I fairly quickly decided that I, I wasn't a huge fan of practicing law, and I liked the business side of things much more than I enjoyed the, the legal side. I started a company called Do It Sports back uh, with some buddies. Um, and we, we built that up and uh, got venture financed and, and sold it. And um, during this whole, that whole process, I, I sort of worked my way back from Palo Alto to, to Ann Arbor with a brief stint in, in Chicago area. Um, came back to Ann Arbor, and this was a good 12 years or so after I had graduated. And um, learned that I just didn't have the social capital that I once had here. I, I hardly knew anybody. So I decided, heck, I'll, I'll go. To, I'll go. What, what I need is just more schooling. So I went and got uh, and, and got went, went to get my MBA at the University of Michigan um, and in the evening program. And then I just 
did some work at, at the same time I was doing a lot of consult, internal consulting work with AT&T. And when I moved, got first got back to Ann Arbor and right around 2000, I began working with um, this boutique consulting firm that focused on the, the growth of, of uh, B2B businesses on the internet. And um, that was going really well and, until the, the bottom sort of blew out of that the whole B2B space back then in the early 2000s. Um, at that point, I, I decided to go, go back to business school. And during the whole while, I was uh, doing some internal consulting work with, with AT&T. And that was basically doing every kind of job that, tough job that nobody else wanted to do and, you know, figuring out a lot of strategy type work. And ultimately, I ended up selling the working to, to sell the division for which I worked. So I, you know, sort of worked my way out of a job on that one. On my will, my way to the SBDC, I think through Ann Arbor Spark, uh, you know, my love of early stage companies, I was, I was attending some of the, the Spark functions. And Ann Arbor Spark is an economic development organization here in Ann Arbor. They have an incubator, they do some acceleration work, and they do a lot of very good work in the community. So I, I ran into a gentleman named Phil Tepley who recruited me, and I've been doing this for approximately 12 years now. Three cheers for Ann Arbor Spark, man. They've Being based in Ann Arbor, they've, they've supported Dynamo like crazy since we've got here. Um, yeah, they, only, you know, those guys yeah. are great. Bill Mayer does a wonderful job with the early stage uh, companies there. So, I, you know, like you said, three cheers and, and, and kudos. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They've been so helpful. So, I mean, as a company coming and landing in Ann Arbor, whether it's grants or investment or services, um, helping have a specific like like bricks and mortar landing spot for companies. I mean, we've just been treated really well since we got into Ann Arbor and they've been like that driving force. And and I mean, that's in part, I, you know, we met we met when we were in Dynamo is still based in Detroit, but we shortly came to Ann Arbor after that. And so that's how we we wound up working together quite a bit. Exactly. I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right. Spark is a wonderful resource. And when you, you combine that with all the resources that University of Michigan brings to to Ann Arbor, it's really quite a vibrant entrepreneurial community. Part of what I'm hoping we can talk about here on the front end is just contextualizing kind of an economic development environment for small business. Working for the Small Business Development Center and participating with Ann Arbor Spark, like I start to think of things like an ecosystem for small business startups and technology startups, and, and just how critical and vital that is to the Ann Arbor regional economy. And so I'm hoping that you can kind of unpack a little bit from an institutional standpoint, what the Small Business Development Center is, how those things work. Are they tied to state money? Are they tied to local money? Are they tied to federal money? Just kind of that institutional framework. And then like where your role falls in with that. But just kind of all of those institutions and and what they're doing in in regions. Yeah, I think I can do that. So let me try to paint a broad picture of the ecosystem here in Michigan, which, as I said, it's not just in Ann Arbor, but I think the entire Michigan ecosystem is pretty vibrant. Sort of at, at the core of all of it is the Michigan Economic Development Corporation, or the MEDC. And, you know, they're tasked with promoting economic development throughout the state, not only technology companies, but, you know, typical brick-and-mortar companies as well. You know, everything from your, your pharmaceutical company to, to the, you know, a local hairdresser. 
the MEDC, you know, has its hands in all of that and also in things like the Pure Michigan campaign and as well as various grants that it gives. The MEDC is sort of at the heart of that. And we talked a little bit about earlier about Ann Arbor Spark. And Spark is one of the what they call smart zones around the state of Michigan. And and quite honestly, I can't remember exactly how many smart zones there are. Some something like fifteen, all situated around the state of Michigan, and they all sort of play the same role uh, that Spark does, which is to promote economic development within the state of Michigan. And that's sort of the you know tier ones, if you will, of economic development in, in Michigan. The SBDC, um, really here in Michigan, and every state has an SBDC. Every state in the in the country. Here in Michigan, it's really divided into two, maybe three broad categories. There's, there's roughly 100 consultants throughout the state. Roughly 90 of them deal exclusively with the, you know, what we call traditional businesses, the, the tool and dye shops, the, as I said, the, the hairdressing shops, the stuff that, you know, that's on Main Street. We have the tech group, with, which I'm a part of, which there's only 10 of us, and our responsibilities are statewide. And I'm yeah. No, that's fantastic. Like, that's exactly what I'm asking for is kind of like this broad swath of like an institutional framework where we have these, you know, these educational institutions across Michigan, right? We have U of M, we have MSU, we have Michigan Tech, we have, you know, all these different places where in the state is churning out like the, like the way I think about this, like, whatever, I'm an economist, right? Like, I see like Michigan's economy and I think, all right, we've got these talent churning environments where if you're if you're homegrown or you're you're coming here to go to these institutions how do we now those brains that get created are going to start businesses potentially now how do we create an environment where that business builds and grows the michigan economy for example right my sense of it is like the small business development center is like that environment that tries to provide direct on the ground resources to those businesses to, to channel some of those state funds or something like that. Is that? Well, I mean, that, that, that is, you know, a good way of looking at it. I mean, we, you know, we're the glue that holds a lot of this stuff together. I mean, <laughs> just to back up a little bit, Nigel, you, you we want to know a little bit where the money comes from, right? Um, yeah. So the, the smart zones, you know, are all funded through the MEDC and some, some of them have a tip capture, you know, or LDFA money, right? Local Development Authority Finance, I think that is. I think that's the, the acronym. Mm-hmm. So like Ann Arbor has a large LDFA, gets a great deal out of, out of their LDFA. There's other states, or I'm sorry, there's other smart zones around the state that do the same. So the MEDC funds a lot of those. Now the SBDC, I was saying that there's sort of two two houses, right? That traditional side is, is funded in, you know, 99% of that is funded by the, I'm sorry, by the SBA. Um, at, the, at a federal level. Now, the tech team is a little unique in that our funding comes directly from the MEDC. And really, we have three programs that, as a tech team that we sort of run. One is the consulting, which, you know, is statewide. The second is the BAF fund, Business Accelerator Fund, which is it's a competitive grant funding um, program that gives money to, to companies to really try to bring them through the, the valley of death, which is a lot of what we do. And finally, there's the ETF fund, Merchant Technology Fund, which is really matching funds for companies that receive SBIR grants or STTR grants. So there's a couple terms there. I'm hoping you can unpack. So explain what the Valley of Death is. 
So the valley of death is a, and I'm not exactly sure who who coined the term, but it, it's that time period sort of between where a technology, you know, you're first starting to sh- validate the technology, let's say at the, at the lab level, okay, to the point where you have to start trying to commercialize it. You have no money coming in, so you have no revenue coming in, um, but you're, you're trying to scale up that business. And it's a very, very tough time for a lot of early stage technology companies. And, you know, as the name implies, many companies just do not survive that, that time period because they don't have the, the money or the expertise to get through that. And that is, you know, in large part what we help them with at the tech team. Yep. And then you said, and then you also said SBIR and STTR. Can you unpack what those are? Yeah, those are, um, I keep on using acronyms and I forget that exactly what they represent, but, but let's see what they are. Yeah. But yeah, at a very high level, what, what SBIRs and STTRs are, are research grants given by various agencies of the U.S. government for researchers to follow certain, certain line of research and development. Um, so, you know, the NIH, National Institute of Health, Department of Defense, uh, National Science Foundation, all issue grants called SBIRs or STTRs, and they go to, to people doing research in specific areas. And you can find out uh, what those, those specific solicitations are if you go to uh, grants.gov. And this is like, I love this space so much because it's like, this is how your government invests in small business at the grassroots level. Like some of these, some of these monies, that means are coming from the feds, moving through MEDC and then down to you guys who then deliver them directly in the form of services and and incentives to businesses that otherwise would have too much risk to start or pursue. Is that right? Yeah, they, you know, it's, it's a hard thing. Starting a new business is not easy, right? Um, <laughs> you know, and, and unless you've done one before, you have a lot of questions and it really helps to, to have someone to talk to somebody who's done it before and, and, know, and knows the pitfalls. So maybe, maybe a fun thing to do would be like walk through, like if I'm, let's say I've got an idea and I'm, and I'm like, do I go take the job at Eaton? I'm like an engineer or something. Do I go, do I go to, I'm a mechanical engineer and I, I solved something. And do I go take the job at Eaton or do I, do I pursue this idea further? Like how do I actually assess that risk? What, what's my process? <laughs> well, whether you do it or not, it's, you know, I always go back to my, my, my lawyer answer, which is it depends, right? <laughs> yeah. It, it yeah. depends. It really depends upon the level of risk that you feel that you can take on personally, you know, do you have a family? Do you have to support that family? You know, how, you know, a lot of people just don't, don't follow the entrepreneur track because it, it is very difficult and it's fraught with a great deal of risk. If you're single and you don't have to support anyone but yourself and you, you have a little nest egg that you can, you know, you can survive on, you know, there you go. That's great. But uh, take that risk. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you don't, then then you know maybe that that job at Eaton makes a lot more sense. But you know how do you make those assessments, right? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you know. Obviously, you, you know if you you have some idea. Let's say you know you're an engineer, you have a widget. You have to assess what the, the technology 
risk on that on that particular widget? You know, how is it merely just an idea? You know, a little cloud in the sky, or is it something that you've you know you've developed and you can reproduce? Right, and so, and in your guys and your guys' services on the front end there are like to sit down with that person and kind of start to hash that out. Is that how that works? Well, well, that's part of it. I mean, the technology side, I, I think, you know, from my perspective as a consultant, it's almost impossible to try to be a, keep abreast of all the technology out there, right? I don't make a technology assessment. I'm, a, I'm assuming what they tell me about the technology is true. There's, there's a lot of other risks, though, that you have to really consider. Like, this is part of what we do is help them think through these other risks. There's market risk. You know, there's financial risk. How much... You know, there's a big difference between bringing a piece of software to market versus bringing having having to build a particular piece of hardware. So a lot more risk in one than the other, right? There's operational risk. You know, there there is there's also management risk. You know, you might have a great deal of knowledge within a particular silo, but but let's say for instance you're an engineer, but you've never been exposed to business or trying to run a business. So there's all sorts of other risks that we help people, you know, think through and work through. So does does everything just come to you or do you guys market? Like, well, how does how does the service get there? How do how do you find your customers and how do your customers find you? Well, that's that's a great question. I mean, like I said, you know, we mentioned earlier that there's these approximately 15 smart zones around the state of Michigan. Um, and, you know, as we as you said, we're agnostic to all of them and, you know, we work with all of them to support them. Um, so oftentimes clients come through the, uh, through the smart zones. Oftentimes people hear about the SBDC. Um, you can go to the, you know, SBDC website and there's a whole lot of data and knowledge for small businesses there. And, there's some outreach um, to people who have expressed interest in entrepreneurship that uh, our organization does, which, you know, some clients come in that way. And, you know, a lot of my, uh, quite honestly, you know, I've been doing this, like I said, for 12 years or so. A lot of, a lot of uh, people come to me by word of mouth. And I, I think that's how we met. They, they, that's, I wonder about that with COVID. Like, uh, has entrepreneurialism gone up or down since COVID started <laughs> in your experience? Uh, I mean, that's interesting. Um, so my individual and personal activity shot up dramatically, you know, sort of in April, May, June timeframe when the federal government, you know, came out with the various incentive, you know, the PPE packages and that sort of thing. Um, and, so, I, and I believe you guys were, were a recipient of that as well. So absolutely. So yeah. that's a big way. Like, you guys were like a vehicle to help everybody. I mean, in my experience with you, like you got, you were giving me all those updates on the day to day as the feds were, were positioning and pumping out the resources. So you guys were on that front line, basically being a conduit um, to make sure that businesses were securitized. Right. Yeah. I mean, it it was a very, it was sort of very confusing because it was something that was brand new. No one had ever done it. You know, it was going through banks and the banks didn't know what they were doing either because they'd never done it. Everyone was making it up as they went along. Although there were no regs or anything else. So what we were trying to do is keep our customers, first of all, let our customers know what was available because there were a slew of programs, you know, at the federal, at the state and local level. Um, So keeping them appraised of what was available and then really trying to help them through that process because 
you know, when it's new like that, no one really knows exactly what's happening. Sure. And that, and, and specifically, we're talking about the CARES Act and the, the Paytech, uh, Paycheck Protection Program, right? Yeah, the PPP and, and also the, the idle loans with the, with the and that, that, but that's not just solely for, you know, pandemic. They, uh, the, the SBA idle loans um, are available any, in any time of emergency situations. Right. So do you guys directly connect up to the feds or are you like a V like is the SBA or EDA? Is that a direct feed or does MEDC keep that relationship? How does that work? Well, there's a direct, there's a direct link between our, our, um, our home offices, um, you know, and the SBA. Okay. Got it. Um, and that's then the there's also there's also a direct link between our you know our what we call our, our the home office or the lead center and the MEDC. They also work together closely. Got it. Me personally, I, I'm I, I stay away from the bureaucratic stuff as much as I can. <laughs> right. Your interest is working with those businesses, right? Correct. Correct. Right. Um, and, and then there's those and then there's those local offices, and you got and you're the Ann Arbor one, right? Right. Well, so so the tech team is is completely virtual, and we've been so COVID hasn't really impacted the way I work that much. Besides the fact that I don't see a lot of people in person, but I've worked you know from my own home office for a long time, or you know the the smart zones off you know often lend us space as well. So, so my sense is like the Michigan Economic Development Corporation is at the heart of a lot of this work. Um, there's there's some dollars flowing from the feds. And then there's kind of like the execution at the local level, like technology. Would you say that technology, like 10% of the consultants within the SBDC, Michigan Small Business Development Center, are technology focused? Would you say that that's a fair representation of the percent of new businesses in Michigan that are tech related? Do you know? I, I really don't know. That's it's an interesting an interesting concept. I mean. Just to give you a, a little more, you know, to you know, paint a little more background for you, the, the real reason the the, te- the tech team was was formed, you know, back after this was like I think it was two thousand seven ish or so. Um, okay, that's when the tech team came together. Is that right? Yeah, I think initially, okay. some right around that that time period, um, and, and it was originally because. You know, we were starting to experience that that that, that recession. Yep. Back then, and, and then you know, Michigan was hit particularly hard because you know the, the reliance on the auto industry and almost sole reliance on the auto industry. And sure. the people back back at the time, the, the the legislators back at the time said, "Hey, we've really got to diversify our our economy. We can't rely so much on." On, on the auto industry. And, you know, obviously we have tourism and agriculture also are, are great contributors. But, you know, we have all this research coming out of the universities. I mean, University of Michigan has gets what something like $2 billion in federal grants for research now, incredible amount. And, and, we're, and the state isn't actively pushing to, to commercialize, help commercialize it. So that is, you know, what, what, uh, why we were formed. Got it. That's when, right at that same time, that's when I was getting into economic development and finding the Michigan Economic Development Corporation because 
things were shifting towards place-based economic development strategies. Mm-hmm. And I was, at, I was at Michigan State University at the time, and all of our policy research was shaping towards, towards those things. And uh, that, that was just an exciting time in Michigan because exactly what you say, we were positioning to diversify our portfolio. And so all these great moves were being made. And that's fantastic. I didn't realize that the technology team uh, was a product of that time also. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. And so were you there during that? During I, was, that I was sort of like the second wave. Um, there, there was initially, I think, four consultants were hired. And then um, they were doing a good job. And it looks like everyone was really, the MEDC was happy with them. And everyone was happy. So they said, hey, here's some more money. Hire some more folks. <laughs> right on. And, Do you uh, know, like, that's an interesting story then. I'm curious of that rollout. Do you know the history of the rollout of the technology team? Well, I mean, you know, there's that very first, I believe it's one, two, I think it was four consultants initially. Mm-hmm. And then there was on my wave, which was roughly 2000, let's say 2008-ish, 2009-ish. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm old. I can't, you know, I can't remember all these things. It all, it all blurs together. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But, they, but that's when the MEDC started doing its pot commitment towards specifically investing in technology and small business startup technology as part of the state's portfolio, if right. you will. Right. right? Yeah. And, they, and then, they, you know, they, they, they had other programs that, you know, was putting money in, into companies to, more directly. So they... Initially, they were doing some direct investments into companies coming out of universities, and then they went to sort of a fund-to-fund types approach, to putting money into you know fund-to-funds to help them you know make allow them to to choose the 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 investments. Right, and it's it's really matured since then, right? Like between between things like Invest Detroit, Invest Michigan. Now Red Cedar Ventures has that Michigan Rise Fund. Right. There's all these different venture capital funds now that that position the state to, you know, the MEDC to make large gains over the long term with some of its bets. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of them, you know, a lot of them are the result of, you know, some of the some of those bets coming coming in, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, they, they were those those monies were evergreened. So um they're, you know, they, they contributed to the growth of these new funds. And Michigan still has a ways to go in, you know, this early stage capital. You know, it's certainly not like Silicon Valley or, or you know, the Boston area. There's a number of smaller funds in the area. And I think they do a fairly decent job in, in getting capital to, to some of these early stage companies. But Michigan firms really don't have the venture capital firms, I mean, really don't have sufficient uh, resources, financial resources to do the, you know, the the series B rounds or even a a large series A round. It's definitely like, it's definitely been a really nice piece on the seed stage and the pre-seed stage. Yeah. I feel like like MEDC has really stepped into that role in terms of, you know, that earliest stage where it's the highest risk moments. Um, it's really nice. I, yeah, I, 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 I agreed. Mm-hmm. And so, okay. So, so switch it a little bit. The, so, okay. So we have this, we have this ecosystem, you know, it's using, there's some federal resources, state resources, local resources, 
uh, venture environment, right? It's all, all to speak to how do we create a, a healthy small business environment and ultimately strengthen and grow and diversify Michigan's economy. Like all those things. And you're playing a role in there and you're in this select team that gets to play with the technology folks within the SBDC, right? Correct. So it's like, so there's, so there's our recap, right? And so, it, so the thing that I'm, I'm curious about is like, um, like this is kind of a competitive space, right? Like states do this. This is like a thing states do, right? And they all kind of, skin, you know, for lack of a better term, like there's a, there's a lot of ways to skin the cat, right? There's a lot of ways to get this done. Like, do you have any, um, any knowledge of other states or any other places outside of Michigan, like how this environment looks elsewhere or, um, or kind of what we've built ours off of or the uniqueness well, of our setup? So the uniqueness, I mean, very few states have a tech team, okay? Mm-hmm. Only a handful that do. Um, and I have heard anecdotally that many states look to our SBDC as a model, that it's very highly regarded within sort of that SBDC community. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, kudos to, to to the hard work that, you know, not only all the consultants have done in our in our area, but all the people back at Lead Center do. Um, that, you know, and, and I've heard things, of, for instance, like, you know, friends of mine starting business in California, it's like the SBDC there really, the, the, in, in their opinion, didn't help them at all. But, you know, the situation is a little different there. There's so much capital. There's a sea of capital flowing there that, it's you know it's so much easier to for early stage companies to attract capital there than it is here, you know. In, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Good. So, you know, you know, we we really had to fill there. There was a like I said, there was a hole in our ecosystem that the the uh, the MEDC saw and decided, hey, we we we've got to fill this up if we want to if we want to uh, compete. Right. So what? So tell me about tell me about like um, what you've seen happen in the small business community since this recession has hit, since this pandemic driven recession. All that you know, we've got all these social equity issues that are unfolding as a result. We've got COVID, you know, just taking down commercial districts in terms of their their throughput of people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like how has like in your view like tech companies versus you know bricks and mortar or just like your sense of what's happened with with companies okay. um, well, recession has begun yeah for, I, I think my perspective is a little skewed because almost almost every company I work with is pre revenue so I work with early stage companies so heck their revenue hasn't been affected at all because they didn't have any right <laughs> <laughs> um, sure. Well, but, tell us about the, tell us about the pre-revenue folks. Well, I mean, give me the rest. But, but with that being said, there's there's some things that people just don't think about. For instance, you know, anyone who had any company that we we're working with that had lab space, you know, wet lab space, you know, most of that had to close down for a huge amount of time, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of companies who thought that they, you know, they'd be, you know, they'd be at revenue now or ready for you know a Series A round of financing. They're having to go back for bridge loans because, hey, you know, they basically had, you know, 
four to six months, whatever it was, where they were doing very much that was productive, um, mm-hmm. which impacts, you know, the, 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 the new investments that private equity folks can make because they're having to hold back more money for their, for their existing investments, right? So there, there's some of those issues. It, it's sort of it's sort of weird. I haven't seen the you know back in 2008, 2009, right around that time when when the auto industry really got hit hard. We saw this huge surge of new businesses, of people coming out of the auto industry saying, "Hey, I've got this idea. I want to start a new company." Right? I haven't seen that huge surge yet. Um, I'm not saying that it's not coming, but I, ha- I haven't seen it yet. I know that my my compatriots on the traditional side of the of the house at the SBDC they've been extremely busy um, helping companies trying to to weather the the storm and you know sort of try to bulletproof their businesses. I mean, if a lot of those people have you know clients that are restaurants or gyms that are that are having a truly tough time now. Yeah, that's that's what I'm really curious about. It's like. Like getting a sense of how small business is weathering the COVID recession, right? It's like, like, like you said, like that was an interesting arc because in the last recession, you had folks like spinning off entrepreneurialism and, you know, given that it's a pandemic induced recession, like our, our people is, is ready to come out of the woodwork to like pursue new opportunities um, it's just an interesting, that's an interesting angle there. Yeah. And then um, sort of, it's also very geographic. So some of my clients up in the UP, it's like the, the, that the pandemic never happened. Right. I mean, they've almost been untouched. Sure. Sure. Um, and you know, one of them, one of my, one of my clients does makes a, a fiber rebar, um, very cool company, but they're, they're, they're going gangbusters. Um, because you know it's outdoor work, you know their cli- their clients um, do a lot of outdoor work, so that hasn't been halted. In fact, you, you might argue that a lot of the you know the road infrastructure and that that they supply has been increased because a lot of municipalities have been saying, "Hey, we're going to take this opportunity to, to do some of the infrastructure work that we haven't done in the past because there's a lot less use of the infrastructure." Right, right. So you have special knowledge on pre-revenue companies, though. Right now, I'm curious. I'm curious. To, like, are they staying above water? Are there pro? Are there is there programming to like keep good ideas alive during times of contraction like this, or is it kind of like they have to go into hibernation, or how does that play out? Well, like I said, many of those people have came in with no expectation of revenue coming in. Right. Right. So, mm-hmm. so they, they basically said, Hey, you know, we've, we had, this, this is the nut we have and it's going to serve, it's going to weather us for, for, you know, a year. And they've been working through that. Now, many of them, you know, might, might have to search for, for funding earlier than they had anticipated because, you know, they had, they, they're a little slower to get to revenue than they anticipated. Some of them, you know, I, I know, for instance, you know, sort of the generation of new ideas and stuff, it, it doesn't stop. I know that University of Michigan Office of Technology Transfer, the OTC, they had a banner year. They had, they're, they're having a banner year. So maybe there's more lab time or something available because everybody's inside. 
<laughs> maybe, maybe the professors are just focusing and instead of focusing on teaching, they've been focusing on, on, uh, on, on their research. Work. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I'm so interested in like, what are those more sort like of maybe unintended consequences or yeah. Yeah. Like the unintended consequences that are going to shake out of this recession that come to fruition, you know, like, like more research time is going to lead to more technology transfer, you know, licensing or whatever for different universities. And so how that shakes out over time. Is there, so I'm curious on like programming, just your thoughts on existing programmings from the feds or from the state and if they're adequate or, or where you might, if you, if you had your druthers where you might target some resources right now. That's a good, good question. So, I think we, you know, I, I think a lot of the sort of the, I'll call them the main street businesses have, haven't, have been hit really, really hard and they're going to have a hard time surviving. I mean, I, here in Ann Arbor, you, you, you read about all the, the restaurants that, that, that are closing, right? Mm-hmm. And boy, I wish, you know, you know, I know this is not my area, but I, you know, cause I, I like to focus on technology companies, but those are people who are really hurting and, re- and really need help. Um, you know that the, there's. I and I, I just don't think it's a matter of the, the states giving money to these folks either. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's the, that's the solution either. I would. You know, I, now I'm talking about technology companies. Um, mm-hmm. That's a good question. I'm, Let's let's come back to that. Let me think about it a little bit. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting space right now, right? Like we have these commercial corridors that are that are they've been so deeply invested in. I mean, this is this is where I'm hoping we can spend a little time towards the end here. Is so is the, is the directionality of of economic development policy? Well, let me as, let, as me, let me talk to you about something. I, I I see where you're going with that. So. I, you know, I, I sort of like that whole, you know, the PPP model, private par- private public partnership, right? Mm-hmm. And there's things that the federal government, or the, I'm sorry, the state government, or even the federal government can do in conjunction with private entities to really help. Um, for instance, um, can the government act to guarantee loans for small businesses? See, a lot of small businesses, you know, really are, are, especially in the technology area, are unbankable. They can't go to the bank and get a loan because, you know, the technology they have is unproven. So there's really no value. So they have no collateral that a bank wants. Why can't the federal government or the state government or even local government say, hey, we'll guarantee X percent of that loan? And that way, it's not, you know, they're not throwing money into a company. But they're they're using their capital base to help, so it's sort of let's call it off balance sheet, if you will. Sure. I mean, something like that um, would be very helpful. Um, even for for companies who are just starting to get into revenue, um, you know, can can you have can they can they help finance uh, contracts? I have I have I've had clients who have purchase orders. And, you know, they're, they're unable, you know, they have a purchase order for, you know, several million dollars, but they can't fill it because they don't have the capital to be able to, to order the goods to do it. So purchase order financing 
you know, guaranteeing, that would be a really interesting thing that, you know, government could do. Those are the things that I'm really curious about in this next, I mean, we have a bill coming. We'll see if, when, how it works from the feds, right. That's going to hit states and in businesses and all, you know, probably citizens in terms of cash in your pocket and business support and all these things, but we don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know what format it's going to happen in, but it's like, what I'm really curious about is how individual states are going to handle this. Where are they going to target the economic development programming and resources? Because, because traditionally during recession, I mean, that's where, that's where a lot of the resources go is into the economic development authorities because we need to regrow our economy. Yeah, right? but, like a, you know, but, to, but to your point, it's a good one. Do you, do you put it into the existing companies? Do you put it into new companies? I think the, the the better question is how do you best leverage it, right? Yes. So you get, hey, you get, hey, you got, you, the state of Michigan get, you know, X hundred millions of dollars. How can Michigan best utilize that? Is it just giving it to businesses or is it like something like I suggested, guaranteeing loans or something or, you know, requiring one, matches, like one-to-one match on stuff? How can you best leverage that that huge influx of capital to best help the state? I mean, that's at the heart of the question. I'm sure the governor uh, or governors across the land, right, are, are, are wondering or are thinking about as they get resources and they're, and they're working to distribute them down. If it's tied to, let, let's say, an infrastructure bill, that's pretty straightforward, right? Mm-hmm. Let's fix bridges and roads and all the things that this country needs fixed anyway, <laughs> right? Like there's a place to start. That's gonna that'll that'll boost the economy real fast. But then, where do you make your strategic investments to leverage and, and kind of take a toehold on this thing and grow? Because my sense is that like the tech economy is gonna it's it's permanently changed. Like, I mean, what's your sense on the macro effects of like of COVID on? Well, on I mean, tech? I mean, it's interesting you say that. Why do you say that? The reason I say that is because, like you know, baby boomers and others are kind of forced into a technology driven uh, workday right now, like they never had in the past. And so productivity, economic productivity is leaning on technology like it never has before. Mm-hmm. So my sense is there's going to be slippage back to like the way it used to be or whatever, but not entirely, right? Like we've, we've made a leap into technology uh, uh, that is not going to go back to like the same trajectory that we used to have. I think there's like a permanent shift there personally. We'll see. We'll see. But that's, I mean, that's what I say. About so it. a permanent shift in the way technology is used to communicate and to and yeah. run. I guess I'll yeah. agree with that. I mean, I, 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 I agree with that. I mean, I think there's also the other side of that is I think a lot of the, the reasons that having brick and mortar locations are good are you know allowing people to be in the same room that they I think that there's a they can feed off one another a little better. Yeah, yeah. And I think that we, I don't think we I don't think it's right for us to get completely away from that. Oh no, that's not what I'm suggesting at all. Okay, but, but what I am what I am suggesting is that suggesting is that economic productivity and the role of technology and economic productivity. Um, may never be the same again as what it was, right? Because 
we've identified some of these efficiencies. We've identified some of these ways. Yeah. And so that. They, I mean, like, so, so to, 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 how, how does that play out with dynometrics and, and, you know, the value of real estate and commercial real estate? How does that play out? How is this impacting governments which rely on that commercial real estate for tax, property taxes, right? Yeah. So let me think about it a little bit. So there's there's a few different ways. It's tax revenues, right? So there's sales tax revenue, there's income tax revenue, right. there's property tax revenue, there's the, the gambling tax revenue and other like vice tax types things, right? Okay. There, there's, um, you know, fees, like parking fees, you know, getting permits, doing all these different kinds of things. And then there's transfers. That's a big one, right? Like from the Fed to the state, uh, getting those transfers of cash. And so the way that I think about it is how do how do each of those get affected by this this situation? That's going to hurt the bottom line of local government. And so how do you understand what the delta is, the change right. as a result of the recession, and how do you fill the void if you can at all? And so the ones that we can really speak to are the property tax environment, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's that's our primary space in the real estate environment is like, so you have underlying economy, which, you know, sales tax, income tax and um, and fees are going to get hit by. But you could also you could track uh, building permits and change in like that type of productivity. I guess you can also argue that services will be minimized. That's right. So in, in, in people's incomes, because they're out of work. Mm-hmm. So if you can't tax the income that the people made, and if they're not buying stuff because they don't go out as much. So all of that, all of those are going to hit the bottom line for state and local governments. Mm-hmm. And then the stuff that would pick up in our system is going to be largely like there's going to be lagged effects on like if people are moving out of rentals because they're being evicted, let's say, or the, pro- you know, people are housing markets are increasing in value because um, maybe what I've been seeing a lot of is that people are buying housing outside of cities right now because, mm-hmm. um, because it's, you know, density of people during COVID is like not comfortable for people. And then you have like a change in values potentially inside the city and change in values outside of the city in terms of demand. I mean, it's, it's, it's yet to be seen, I guess is what I'm trying to yeah. say. Like, being predictive in that environment. But the, the short of it is that you have your fingers on the pulse of the property markets and you, you to actually see that. The other, the other big thing for Dynamo right now is that it, it's a communications tool for change and, and development, mm-hmm. right? So w- what is happening on the ground in terms of the property markets, changes in the immediate environment, and how do you communicate that with your citizens? So that like historically disinvested areas, for example, is a place. Um, where there's a, where there's a lot of interest for like social equity issues right. um, surrounding areas that have been kind of left behind, there's opportunities to communicate with the citizens base in those areas. But anyway, I'm just talking about Dynamo now. Oh, okay, I mean it, it, it's all interconnected, right? That's right. That's right. And then so that anyway, that's like a big part of where we found uh, traction during the COVID environment is. You know, it's a planning tool. So, like, if you have all these changes unfolding in your community, how are you going to reposition and 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 
regain investment or target investment in the future? How do you communicate that and plan for it? So anyway, that's, that's a big way that we're working with communities to help them get their arms around these things. A lot of housing issues unfolding right now, man. Yeah, I bet. Uh, as a result of COVID. So this is, this is cool. Like, I really appreciate like unpacking, like from an ec- economic development policy perspective, like how do we, how do we work on our, our local economies and your role in that? That's it's fun conversation, Kyle. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. I'm, I'm just hope more people, you know, realize that uh, the services we all pr- we provide at the SBDC and take advantage of them. Well, I appreciate everything. I appreciate everything, Kyle. This is great talking to you. And uh, it, as this moves forward, I'm really curious to circle back with you again, hear about how how business startups are playing out as as COVID unfolds. I really appreciate having you on. Oh, very happy to do it. And I'll, I'll be happy to uh, reconnect and, and let you know uh, how this, this all progresses. It's, it's, a, it's a brave new world. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Keep, keep bringing the resources to those businesses. Keep, keep Michigan moving forward. I love it. I really do. appreciate it. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Ahead of the Curve. And special thanks to Kyle for joining us today.